Hey everybody, GCR here, and you're listening to the Movie Podcast Network. Get on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash geekcastlive for special content, perks, and that warm, fuzzy feeling that you're doing something awesome and helping out our podcast. We wouldn't be anywhere without you guys, and we look forward to bringing you geeky content for a long time to come. If Cartoon Joe is a flavor that moves you, be sure to check him out his other show, This Freakin' Show. Tune in as Cartoon Joe and Travis the Ocelot chop it up about games, current events, or whatever the hell moves them, all while enjoying a delicious Yoo-Hoo. Check them out at thisfreakinshow.com and vote Green Party. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and YouTube by searching GeekCast Live. Like books? Hate to read? Have ears? Like to listen? Well, we have a solution. Audible.com, where there's over like a million or something books that you can listen to with your ears. Go to audible.com slash geekcastlive for a nice kick in the pants. It's a trap! Welcome to another episode of Give me a liter of cola. Podcast. Podcast. I'm your host, Carrie. Liter cola? GCR. Just order a large farva. I don't want a goddamn large farva. <laughs> <laughs> goddamn liter cola. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> hey, that movie's coming back. They just wrapped filming. Finally. About it. A little car ramrod action. Yeah. I'm so excited. I'm I hope it doesn't fall on its dick. Oh, it, a lot of bad might. boys, too. <laughs> when as I love something a whole lot and then they wait. Superman, I think that's the all new one. Batman, <laughs> lowercase v, Superman, yeah. colon, Dawn of Justice. Yeah, that one. The, the bar to trip the over. Says the guy who still chokes himself out where I ever went off to the pod racing scene. Mm-hmm. You want to continue to to absolutely because that make pod racing scene of, was still somehow better than the whole of that movie. Hey, how about my man Ben Affleck? Basically, kind of almost like saying like, "Hey, I'm out." This the whole Batman thing. Yeah. Hey, no one can ever top Lego Batman at this point. Yeah, so no, um, they, they, that's true. Tapping out. Lego Batman was, it, was better than Batman. Let's think about that. That's a whole separate conversation that I'm willing to entertain. Actually, I have a video about that that I will share with y'all at some point. You should. You should. We need to dedicate a whole episode to... If I had known we were going to go this way, I would have made it my due review. Yeah. Well, we should, we should probably... You, you really have, should have. We should probably have the great Batman episode of season four. <laughs> I am down. Mm. If I had to guess. I mean, just judging by what I'm hearing. Little, 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 little. That's what I'm hearing. Adam West, clearly the best. Didn't we do this last year or two years ago? Uh, we did a we we did a brief we did a brief rundown where we actually all I think we just um, picked our top bat. Right, and we but we were all like in lockstep. There was really no uh, conversation. Yeah, it, was like, it fell flat. Right, because we all had the same views on that. Right, we all agreed pretty <laughs> across the board. 
Adam West was the best. Well, yeah. No, I think we I think we came to uh, Ben uh, Ben Affleck was the best. Great googly moogly Batman. Oh, so and the Batman. So, hello, everyone. How was how was that? You know, how was your week? Good. Yeah. Yeah. I had a snow week. Like a whole week of it. Yeah, like a like a week of snow days That's... because uh, I live in a place that doesn't have plow service. But awful. you're in the East Coast. Mm, but I'm North in Frog Camper, Vermont. Yeah, that that's snow country. Mm-hmm. And they don't. They just say like, there are things like just let it snow. Eventually, it'll melt. Fuck it. Mm-hmm. We're not dealing with the expensive plows. Yep. Everything will shut down. We'll get back to life eventually. I'm sorry. Did you say you live outside of Dallas, Fort Worth? Is that what you said? <laughs> <laughs> where it, where an inkling of frozen moisture shuts down every fucking interstate for six hours. Oh, no, hours. no. We got about 15 inches of snow and freezing rain. But uh, right here in uh, Apathy, New Hampshire, <laughs> they just don't care. Uh, <laughs> Not worth the salt truck. <laughs> uh, muscle atrophy, New Hampshire. <laughs> Do you own snowshoes? Uh, I don't own any. No. Or a, ta- or a tauntaun? Mm. Makes her great. Language. My landlord kind of looks like a tauntaun. Oh, wow. <laughs> that counts. Gut him and see if it's true all the way through. <laughs> Nah, he's a nice guy. Oh. Right, you don't kill him. <laughs> yeah. But you'd sleep, you'd sleep inside his chest cavity to survive, though. <laughs> I would. Probably would. Is there someone whose chest cavity you wouldn't sleep inside of to live? Um, mm, uh, yeah, I'm mm, sure there Kelsey's. is. Kelsey's. Joy well, Bear. Just... I choose death. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, that's just a personal thing. I, I have nothing against Joy Behar. Actually, no, he's, have, he's, a, he's a nice guy. He's, yeah, he's a real, he's a real looker. A mensch, I think, is. Joy Behar looks like Glenn Close in Hocus Pocus, but all the time. <laughs> Joy Behar looks like Glenn Close in drag in the movie Hook. I'm really glad <laughs> that I pictured the right person then. <laughs> So, like Glenn Close and Drag in the movie Hook. <laughs> did you see that? Did you get? Do you guys watch that cracked one? What the the hidden movie cameos? <laughs> Glenn Close is in Drag in the movie Hook for like six seconds. Oh wow! <laughs> no, I avoided, with a beard. I avoided Glenn Close. everything to do with that movie after Ryan came and told me that they. Uh, what was it? Some smells like Team Spirit. Fucking. That's, that's, movie. You're thinking of that's, Pan. You're thinking of Pan. Uh, oh, yeah. No. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Reset. Reset. Uh-huh. Don't dial in your back some. I also want to go ahead and say that uh, uh, Glenn Close wasn't in the movie Hocus Pocus. That was Bette Midler. So we all know Bill, Bill Paxton, Bill Pullman with that. One. <laughs> I want to go ahead and say that, that, that Joy Behar looks like Bette Midler from the movie Hocus Pocus, 
but all the time. <laughs> I guarantee there are listeners who are just cringing as we have that one listener who was just ready. She was firing off an email yeah. saying, "Like you never know what actors are in what movies." What <laughs> Glenn Close looks great in Hook. I didn't even realize. Like that's that's a very convincing beard. It's not bad. Bruce, one of her better looks. Did not play Riggs in Lethal Weapon. <laughs> we have a do review. Before we just cruise right through it again for two two weeks in a row, it was for a good cause. It is for good cause, it is actually. For good cause. And uh, it's Joe's actually. It's Joe's do review this week. I see a little too earlier. Yeah, um, it is my do review. And uh, so uh, earlier last week, I was really tired, so I was looking for a really easy recipe to throw together. And I stumbled back onto um, binging with Babish, which is a really great cooking show on on YouTube where uh, this guy with a great voice um, basically does. He he recreates foods from movies and TV shows. And um, I recreated the uh, the spaghetti aglio e olio from uh, that John Favreau movie where he is a chef. I think it's maybe it's chef. It's chef. Swingers, I think. I'm like 90% sure it's chef. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, uh, while I was watching that video, I spiraled into a downward, you know. Spiral? Spiral. Spiral. Yes. (laughs) Allow myself to introduce myself. (laughs) And uh, anyway, I found the very first episode, which is uh, he does the Parks and Rec burger cook-off burgers, Chris Traeger's burger and, and Ron... I wanted to say Burgundy for some reason, and I knew that was wrong. Swanson, Swanson. Mm-hmm. You could have said Ron Burgundy. We just rolled with it as if because that's <laughs> yeah, apparently no, totally. the, the theme of the episode tonight. <laughs> Ron Burgundy was not in Parks and Recreation. You never know what movies people are in. <laughs> Parks and Recreation is in the movie. Uh, Red Green Lady. Double. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys like that? You like that Red Green Grumble joke? She. What fantastic it's a fantastic parks and rec episode i mean they all are but that one is particularly outstanding it's it's rob Lowe at his very best and nick offerman at his very best doesn't uh, offerman do like a put ketchup on it or don't i don't I care. Could care less i could care mm-hmm. less. mine is meat on a bun with nothing else <laughs> it's it's just so well and i uh, i don't know who this um babish cat is other than I'd like to have his day job where he can afford that kitchen just to go jerk around in. Right. Uh, fucking dick with nice hands. Fuck you. Go do something with he your day. Nice. He's got, he's got very nice hands. Um, like David Duchovny and Zoolander. <laughs> I was a hand. Model. I'm a hand We're model. Wired differently. <laughs> um, uh, they're, uh, but, uh, they're eggs woodhouse. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. hold on. We'll get to that. We'll get to oh, the Woodhouse. But okay. the burger cook-off. Now, this is my my nitpickiness with I, the way cooking shows have become and YouTube personalities. Like, the turkey one is awesome, and I would really love to eat it. But I really don't want to cook anything that takes that goddamn long and that many steps and that many ingredients. At a certain point, it's overkill, you know, even if you're just watching a show. Mm-hmm. Peeling a mango, making your chutney, though those little cheese fritter things, I am going to make the hell out of those. Oh, they're so good. Uh, so that part of it, it's like, okay, you're speeding it up into a 
45 second bit about like three and a half hours and what's got to be close to damn 70 bucks worth of ingredients, you know, to make this burger. So it's mm-hmm. like, all right, I, for an artistic sake, cool, but fuck off. <laughs> I do, I do. I, I find it funny that he apparently climaxes right in his pants as he takes a bite of the Turkey burger. You can see it on camera. I thought that was kind of, I was, mm-hmm. thought it was cool of him to not edit it out. <laughs> well, it was his first one. He needed the money shot score. So, and I'm tapping out of eggs Woodhouse cause that's I'm, about the most disgusting thing I've ever had to watch. <laughs> I want, I actually told the OG, I said, I will pay for it. If you make it, let me know. If you, make nice. the thing. you make yourself, you make yourself one. I, I only, I don't have the $300. To make two <laughs> eggs Woodhouses, but I'll make I'll spring for one eggs Woodhouse. We can all get together, I, and split a bite. Yeah, I'm, I don't even want to watch you eat it. One because I don't want to have to also come back for your funeral when you <laughs> flatline, and also it's just oh, good God, man. Let's put some. Let's do Bernays and Hollandaise and post eggs. Mm-hmm. And an artichoke heart, and, and like, like a pound of some kind of high-end bruschetta or something. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what that is. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. and top it off so with good. some sturgeon caviar. Mm-hmm. Because you did, you say, did you say high-end bruschetta? Yeah. Isn't it? Isn't, isn't that? I'm pretty sure bruschetta is like that hard. Tap I meant to say mayo. pancetta. I think I don't, I don't know why I did that. Sorry. <laughs> That's some really good. This isn't yeah. your fucking. This <laughs> isn't right. your typical Olive Garden bruschetta. No. This is a great <laughs> mix of tomatoes <laughs> and olive oil and basil. This is a high end mm. basil balsamic. Uh, suck it. <laughs> uh, yeah. A lot of people uh, do that. The bruschetta. Uh, Sopraceta thing, yeah, that classic. that deal, some kind of Italian <laughs> sounding thing. <laughs> the classic <laughs> bruschetta, Sopraceta. I I would be willing to bet a certain amount of money that you could not choke down a plate of eggs, Woodhouse. I don't no. think I could. Well, a I serving, like a, a, dead, a full portion. To, no. Could you eat? Could I eat one artichoke heart with one poached egg? With some, oh yeah, let's make it challenging. With a cream of spinach, with a proper like, bechamel. Like, could I have ate half that plate? No, I I, I don't think I could have. No, bechamel and hollandaise, mm-hmm. all up in its biz. And I, but love it's it's a I cool little hollandaise. show. It's short and sweet, so I I, I dig like his deal. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I like. A, it's a little highbrow for me, and I I think I'm a bit of a foodie, but it's a good deal, good fun watch. I love Eggs Woodhouse, though. That's it's my. Now so. I, I did pick up some stuff, though. I didn't. I don't. Sw- I don't swirl the poached eggs first. Yeah, uh, I thought that was interesting. In the, in the like the fine sieve. Mm-hmm. I bet it does a good job of getting the weird uh, stuff that just kind of dissolves into your water anyway off your eggs. Yeah, I've I've always done just the vinegar trick in the water to keep the egg together, mm-hmm. which I don't remember him doing that. So I wonder if this is a, I'm with you, Joe. I wonder if that's his workaround of for vinegar. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting. Yeah, well, I'm definitely worth a shot. 
you know. I don't have a fine colander like that, though. I need to get one. Mm, that's true. I don't know. You could probably just use a regular colander. I also well, don't probably have not his, like a like a regular sieve, actually. I don't have this pulse blender that just goes right through turkey breast like he's chopping up <laughs> dates. His food processor? Yeah. What that thing was dick. insane. I do love a good immersion blender. Although he sees yeah. had an immersion blender cup in mm-hmm. the Woodhouse, which I just thought was a pitcher, but apparently it's an immersion blender cup, which seems a little unitasky to me. But it also well, you can use it for storage. A whole picture of uh, like old fashions in that thing. Yeah, you could. I like where your head's at. If I could equip any room in my house with you know above my means high end toys, it would be my kitchen. Yes. Also, yes. Ryan, what would be yours? I'm thinking your studio. No, your tech I think, it room. Ha- I think it'd have to be my kitchen. I mean, I think that's really, you know what though? I don't really, I don't really like, uh, once you start doing that though, you start getting like weird, weird candy, Elliot, like countertop kitchen baubles. Like this machine does this one thing. And in conjunction with these 15 other machines, you can make bruschetta. Fair enough. It's called, it's called a chef's knife. Yeah. Yeah, It it seems like you could very easily do like a, uh, now, unless we're talking like some like bitchin pots and pans. Oh yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Maybe a, uh, you know, like a, I don't know, like 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 a we sous vide all, machine. We uh, see. I would like a sous vide machine. That would be cool. I want a sous vide machine. I want a pico brew, and I want real like the high end like copper kettleware. Mm-hmm. Be fun. And we we all know a guy who's got a a knife roll, a fabric knife roll filled with with knives. Good, oh. don't we? <laughs> that guy. <laughs> Is that what happened to my Cutco knives? I've been missing those for like six years. No, he, uh, um, rest assured he's not using Cutco knives. Oh, no, I know. He, I gave uh, him the pitch. Our, our friend instead has, uh, he did, he did some research and found some, like, I think some German one offs. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they're not Polish. Like, yeah, they're like, yeah, they're not. It's like the the the, the, the Hansa of knives. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means, but that's that's what they are. They're like, and he's got like a a Sweeney Todd kind of fucking. They're actually, they're actually not from going. Germany. They're an Austrian. Right. They're Austrian, right. Austro-Hungarian. Austrian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. They're the knives of the Ottoman Empire. <laughs> they got a real they got a real sweet like 1912 feel to them <laughs> they're Prussian <laughs> uh, the downside was was after 1914 he had to give them over to uh, Israel yeah Bosnia Herzegovina. Mm-hmm. not known for their cutlery the Bosnians? No. No. Uh-uh. They're more into like stemware. 
Yeah, like a nice champagne flute. So that escalated quickly. Yeah, we digress. We're talking about Prussian cutlery. At the turn of the century. <laughs> turn of the century Prussian cutlery. If you had your bingo card show out. title. <laughs> if you were <laughs> if you were ready for some turn of the century Prussian cutlery. Let me write that down. In its own like commemorative felt fucking roll up satchel. Yeah, yo, you nailed it. It's in a uh, it's in like a Sweeney Todd, like a Sweeney Todd bedroll fucking fucking frontier doctor. Right. Mobile exactly. Like, it's, you're either a frontier doctor or like an Iraqi torturer. It's yeah. got like a it's Serial like the killer. leather the, the, the leather roll of like like oh look at what's he? Okay. Wait, why, why is that? Why does he have a sawtooth fucking hatchet in there? <laughs> yeah, and then you find out it's just a, it's some sort of like a olive pitting device, right? <laughs> Takes the core out of a pineapple and a snap this time. <laughs> does this thing include apples? No. Does no, it have I, any pine I have in this. It? I have another one for no. that. No. Let's call it a pineapple. Perfect. Half a pen. Half an apple. Apple pen. Uh, we have a guest too, just so everybody knows. Thank God. So it should be a very interesting. Right? It should be very interesting. I uh, well, yeah, I can bring him on whenever you guys are ready. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, maybe, maybe Let me know. Anyway, listeners, check out Busy with Babish. It's uh, entertaining. Nice and short most of the time, so not too bad. Binging with Babish. It'll give you a sensible chuckle. <laughs> Who is Babish again? One of my favorite magazines. Mm. Uh, I think. I, I, Wasn't I, he fine. the uh, uh, head lawyer in the White House Attorney's Office? That was Oliver Babish, yes. Played by uh, played played by a guy whose name was also Oliver, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm thinking of uh, Platt. Oliver Platt. Yeah. Joshua, sir, are you on the call? Do we have a guest? Is a guest on? I can't. I don't, I don't know. I don't see him. I'll give me time to look up Oliver Platt. <laughs> <laughs> He had, a, he had a nice run there in like the uh, early 2000s, if I remember right. Yeah. It was in some giant crocodile movie. That's all I remember. Lake Placid. That's the one. Does he only do things that are like really close, like one degree of separation from his real name? Probably. I know he was, I remember, I know he was in Three Musketeers. Yeah, he played a. Uh... Like Porthos. Mm. He was also in Flatliners. Okay. And I don't know what that is. What is Flatliners? Uh, um, you know when you flatline? Yes. <laughs> Roll, go with that. Go further with that. There it is. Just a movie about people dying? Uh, Julia Roberts and uh, Donald Sutherland uh, yep. voluntarily die. Uh, to see if there's an afterlife, and then they get resuscitated. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's about that one. 
He's also in that uh, Jeremy Piven movie you were talking about, Chef or whatever. Hmm. Yeah. Who are you doing? Food truck. Josh, you here? I am. How are you guys doing? <laughs> there he is. I thought I saw somebody doing the call. Doing well, thank you. Good. Well, I'm off, the, off the cuff, do you have a favorite Oliver Platt movie? Ooh. Favorite. Well, I loved him on the West Wing with the appearances he made as the uh, uh, White House chief counsel. Fantastic uh, reference. And his character was named Oliver. Wow. That's bonus points. That's very nerdy that you remember his actual character name. I don't remember the last name, but it was it's like, well, they named his character Oliver. That's convenient. <laughs> <laughs> Saves a lot of time and trouble going through lines. Yeah, I was just saying. You say going through lines? Yeah. Like at well, the commissary? I mean, whenever they're doing lines, but I assume whenever they're oh. rehearsing or, you know, giving lines as in acting and stuff. But. Well, Josh, I'm the guy you've been talking to, and it's Ryan. We've been nice to meet, meet you. Three, yeah, going back and forth, and I've got three co-hosts. I've got Rob. How we doing? And doing Nick. well. Hello, friend. Howdy, and, howdy. Uh, and Joe. This is where Joe would normally say hi. So he's a little shy. Sorry, I was on, I was on mute. As I'm mute. <laughs> we're working on the whole Welcome talking to people thing. Welcome to the show where we're uh, real professional. <laughs> Stuff. <laughs> Everything goes smoothly. Never hitch. It's stranger danger. Stranger danger. Yes. That's cool. <laughs> and so now you... Uh, you've got a really unique uh, slice of the internet going on for yourself. If you go ahead and describe to these guys and to our listeners, what, uh, what it is you guys are doing. So uh, first, thank you for having me on. My name is Joshua Joshua Gilliland and I'm one of the founding attorneys on the legal geeks. And you can check us out at thelegalgeeks.com, where we have a blog that gets into geek issues in pop culture. And we also podcast as well. So one that I recently published was from Dr. Strange, since it just came out on digital and, and uh, Blu-ray, getting into how the magic of contract law saved the world at the end of the movie. And take apart issues like that. Working on a post right now about the new Marvel limited series, Mo- Monsters Unleashed. And getting into the parental liability issues for a kid who draws monsters and monsters then come to the town. Because that's a lot like kids who start fires and then their parents get sued for the damage from the fire. So what's the monster liability uh, to those parents? So it's stuff like that. I like that. Like when the kid steals the vodka from the liquor cabinet and then does something bad, the parents get the shaft. Not cool. Yeah, and it was actually really fascinating because under you know, like general legal principles and under common law a century ago, there was no parental liability, but we've added it. And some states, it's capped at, say, $2,000. Other states might be 10000 I think California's at twenty five. <laughs> so, So it's all over the map. And some states just limit it to property damage. 
But if there is like medical expenses, those are unlimited to what was the reasonable medical expenses. So it's really fascinating to look at. Very cool. Now, how many how many geeks are there amongst the legal geeks? So there's two of us officially. Jessica Meterson is the other. She's an attorney in Madison, Wisconsin. And we started the blog and podcast together back in 2012. There Where are you are, at? Uh, San Jose, California. There are a bunch of guest bloggers that we have, folks who might write one or two. Uh, right now we have a – found a great JAG officer. And a great jag off. We got like four of those on this show. Jag, <laughs> you know the the yes, like like the TV show. Except he ah, okay, got it. Yeah. Except he probably doesn't have firefights and defused nuclear bombs. But that's not important right now. What is is his legal analysis, and he loves Star Wars. So he did uh, a bunch on Rogue One. Is this the guy Rogue. that did the uh, Millennium Falcon custody battle? Um, that was one of our others, a guy from uh, Utah who's a great attorney out there who I met him at Salt Lake Comic Con a couple years ago and just a nice guy. Right, that's the one I was reading earlier, but I, I can't, at least on my device, it doesn't actually, like the author's name isn't coming through, but I did like that one. He, he did a great job. And so we, uh, when Force Awakens came out, we did a bunch of Star Wars posts to celebrate as a countdown and and we did the same um, theme for rogue one where we had numerous attorneys do guest posts and i did a few like you know whether or not tarkin could be charged with a war crime for destroying alderaan and and the answer is yes yes yeah damn right uh, and just for being a dick. I mean, I don't know if that's something you could be charged with, but I, I don't think that's breaking the law. Is that not? Is that not a thing? No, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. There, there are other things you could get into from Rogue One, where firing on Scarif, that you know, he ordered the Death Star to destroy Imperial forces. That that is the legal definition of a dick move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, is there is there ever an instance where one of these articles? could find its way as to be referenced in, in an actual case and have any validity. Yeah. You know, we can always dream. There are lots, there are lots of geek lawyers and judges out there. So you know, Jessica originally did a couple posts on all the judges who have cited say Star Trek in a legal opinion. And she did a follow up with Star Wars. Like if I remember right, there are several thousand for each. Get the really? hell out of here. Wow. That's well, amazing. Lots of geeks on the bench. And when you think about timing, you know, the age of a lot of judges are between you know, 40-somethings to 60-somethings. And that fits very nicely with, with folks who were teenagers when Star Trek was on in the late 60s to 10-year-olds when Star Wars came out in 77. Well, they're now judges. And their love for this hasn't stopped. Uh, For example, this weekend, we're going to have a 
X-Men themed mock hearing at San Diego Comic Fest. And we have a federal judge presiding over this fictional case. And we have law students arguing it. And they wrote briefs and great legal analysis. And the judge is a geek. He has a Darth Maul lightsaber in his chambers up on the wall. And oh, yeah, there's a there's a judge in New York who's a good friend. And he has amazing Star Wars decorations in his chambers. The bookshelves are full of action figures. He's got posters on the wall. Uh, he has figures that show the entire life cycle of Anakin Skywalker <laughs> through his death. <laughs> and you look at it, it's like, bravo. Just bravo. <laughs> See, every time I have to go to traffic court, I get like a judge is like a Twilight fan. That's it. I got nothing I can do with that. No. Just where do I write the ticket? Yeah, just just pale with lots of glitter. Yeah, it's, oh, it's the worst. When did when did vampires start to sparkle? That's a wonderful question. If Anne Rice was dead, she'd be turned over in her grave. Oh, <laughs> I think the phrase you're looking for is undead. <laughs> Um, it, it's 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 fascinating to me. I, I would love to go to that. So there's there's a whole mock trial going yeah. on where there's actually you have you have law students actually going at it like they're in court. Exactly, and that's, and that's tremendous. That's cool. We the attorneys who mentored these students are all equally impressive. One of them was lead trial counsel for Facebook and the litigation depicted in the social network. And he's an awesome attorney who gave his time mentoring these students on, on how to write and other tips from a pro. I remember a couple years ago, he posted on Facebook. It was his anniversary of becoming an attorney. And it was like year 20. And the first person who liked it was Mark Zuckerberg. It's like, dude, Nice. <laughs> different different level different level than me uh, yeah <laughs> uh, uh, this past summer we spoke at san diego comic-con for the second time and we did a star trek panel and the panelists included one of the justices from the california supreme court and That's legit. yeah and uh, a recently retired federal judge and it gets better uh the year before we did star wars and had one of the ju- uh had a federal Ruth judge Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, uh, just, you know I, <laughs> I was in a in a leia return of the jedi costume <laughs> I, I was too much to hope for yeah uh, let's go to your happy place uh <laughs> I, I was hoping garland would have been confirmed because he, he was a he is a geek and so has a comic book collection that he donated to harvard and all kinds of good stuff so wow yeah and uh so we'll see i i think those are fair senate confirmation hearing questions <laughs> Fantastic. So we, so we had some questions for you that, mm-hmm. to get, you know, maybe to see a, a kind of a fast fire round mm-hmm. in a way. And uh, I think the, the one that interested me the most was who is legally responsible for the death of Dumbledore? 
I would say Snape. He took the kill shot. I think the fact that uh, uh, Dumbledore was suffering and dying from the cursed ring uh, is not relevant looking at it from a murder charge because he put the ring on himself. And that was just dumb on his part to put on a cursed ring that was going to kill him. Snape took the kill shot. Yeah, he had that unbreakable bound that he did and all that good stuff. And you could say, like, well, he was undercover. But when you're undercover, you're not supposed to actually murder people. I do think there's a good defense for him, though, in that he could have been performing a strange assisted suicide. Uh, Yeah, because Dumbledore did have a fatal condition. He was going to die from it. Uh, there's the issue that Snape is not a licensed medical professional, so there's that. And the way he he killed him is is also not good. But I do think that there's there's some merit there to that argument. Well, with him being a potions master in the wizarding world, isn't that going to be the closest thing you can find to a medical professional? I would argue that because Snape, uh, Dumbledore was dying from a cursed ring. And you're not going to go see a normal doctor for that. Madam Pomfrey would be offended. <laughs> could you, could you, uh, the healers would, of St. Mungo's. Could you get Draco, uh, uh um, uh, with accessory to murder? Uh, I would, or at least attempted. Yeah. How about Harry? Uh, what, uh, can you stick one on him for just being the type of little douche that has to be frozen in place to keep from just fucking things up as he does? <laughs> like he broke <laughs> douche law? <laughs> well, yeah, Dumbled- Dumbledore has to use his his energy to keep Harry frozen and not be able to defend himself because Harry's a twat. <laughs> he is. He's the Frodo of that book series. I'll give you that. Boy, that seems like an insult to Frodo. But. Yeah, so many of the issues in Harry Potter could have been solved if anyone had actually talked to Harry instead of just acting like he is the anointed one. Actually saying like, hey, here's something super dangerous and you need to know it. <laughs> or, I'll figure it out. Are there, are there legal implications to uh, Hermione using the time turner? I mean, because is there is there is there... Is there time law? No. Well, in law, we have something called proximate cause, which is how you get people liable for damages. Like, and Grant, I am trying to distill a lot of legal principle down to a very basic, sure. basic you know, system. But you know, that's cause and effect. That uh, I drove my car into a wall. Cause and effect. Uh, when driving into the wall, you know, parts went flying off and hit people, cause and effect. And there was a case called Paul's graph that dealt with an injury at a train station and big issues of, of being foreseeable. So let's try applying that to time travel. If you're in the present and you know how time's supposed to play out, and you go back and change things, you're messing with cause and effect. You're also messing, there's interesting foreseeability arguments, because on one level, you could say, well, if you hadn't messed with it, time would have proceeded at its correct course. On the flip side, and if you get into, say, the butterfly effect 
type theories that changing one thing could cause other cascading errors happening, that's not foreseeable. So luckily we don't have time court because that could get really <laughs> weird quickly. And make a really shitty Tom Cruise movie, but I digress. Oh, you know he's going to play lead counsel in Time Court. I was talking about Minority Report. Ryan, you missed my Minority Report tee up for you there. I guess I did. As long as you weren't doing Van Damme's Time Cop, we're going to be okay. (laughs) No, God, no. We we use that strictly for punchline. Yeah, it's a safe place. This is a safe place free of Time Cop. Well, really, all Van Dam works uh, outside of uh, Street Fighter are, are not permitted here. It's just kickboxer. Good. <laughs> uh, Frank Dukes. Wait, that's Bloodsport. That's Bloodsport. Hey, let's let's not get into Universal Soldier where you're experimenting <laughs> on dead people. What do you have against Dolph Lundgren? Lots. <laughs> <laughs> He's my he's my favorite. Is that about a conviction? I have to know what what would you have against him? That was a where did you like right away? Lots. Let's see. From Rocky to Punisher, I mean, like the list goes on. The fact that he's a like biomolecular engineer by trade doesn't absolve him of some of those sins. Okay, that does make up for a lot. So if we're talking about what we actually do, then yes, it's okay. If we're talking about, say, Masters of the Universe, it's going to get weird. Ooh, that's true. There's not much I can do about that. No, one. that's unforgivable. Uh, as a, I had totally as a, blacked out that that was really a thing until you brought it up. That was repressed deep, <laughs> deep, deep in my soul. If you start screaming uncontrollably, we know why. So it's uh, <sighs> uh, a safe place. As a, sure. as a literal illegal alien, <laughs> is is Dolph Lundgren of Superman? Well, hold on. Is Dolph? This we do these straw polls on occasion. Is Dolph Lundgren the worst of the four Punishers? Oh, oh, you know, Yikes. he had the worst. He had the worst set. Because but is is he the least convincing, most limp Punisher? Not necessarily even his movie, but just is he the worst? Because I would argue I don't think he's the worst. I tend to agree. Uh, it's, uh, I do think the most recent one in Daredevil season two is the best. Yeah. Yeah, John yeah. Barron. Uh, I, I think Burnthal it's Bernthal, Jane, Lundgren, and then was it Stevenson? Stevens? I think it's Ray Stevenson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna back your one. play there. That, was, that might be that might be down there. That probably is my worst, I think. But I think we should focus on the positive. You know, with Bernthal played the character with the most emotional depth and complexity. And I think of the graveyard scene as being a wonderful tour de force of showing emotion and loss and how something so traumatic could drive the good Catholic boy to be the killing machine without mercy. Well, let's get into that then from a legal standpoint. Oh God. No, hold on. No, Cause like, I mean, cause there was a, there was a story a couple of years ago about the dad in Texas who like came around the corner and saw his daughter being raped and he beat the guy to death and he was acquitted. He never, no, he never even, he wasn't acquitted. It never even got that far. They, they, there was no charges, no nothing. As there. Well, with that said, is there is there a is there a? I mean, 
I don't want to say a legal precedent, but could you take a, a vigilante like the Punisher and 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 do you think you could convince a jury that uh, his actions were justified based on the things that uh, you know, were done to him? His post traumatic. Yeah, that wouldn't be justification. So let's, I think it's important to break down vigilanteism into a couple different categories. So you have the Punisher category, which is just going out, hunting people and executing them. And there's a moral code to it that he follows with who he's killing. You then get those who superhero characters who are going out and assisting law enforcement in some way. They're not killing, but they're doing uh, aggressive citizens arrests and then you have those <clears throat> pardon me who go out and save people and let's let's start at the first level and then work our way up to murder daredevil season one opening episode we have the women who are being put into a shipping container they're going to be sold into slavery and daredevil goes in kicks butt and saves them that would be defense of others and he saw people in jeopardy the law allows for someone to go in and help someone else. Another great example of that is from Back to the Future with George McFly saving Elaine from getting raped by Biff. That part of that we we all repress on what was actually happening, but George did the right thing in decking him. Moving up to the next level, you get it's not defense of others. It's going out and assisting police, and we're really – like real life, we don't want that happening. Uh, we do want – if somebody sees somebody in legal jeopardy, go help. If you see someone who's trapped, like help get them out of the car, and if you were helping a police officer or fireman do that, it's it's not good because that's, again, not your job. But that's one of those qualities of, of being an American. That's that's our redeeming qualities that we're the ones who rush in and, and like building, burning buildings and help people. You know, there are lots of stories of that sort of thing. And then you get to the Punisher level, which is just murder. And there's <laughs> there's no justification for that. So because he's going out actively and it's not defending someone he's going out to kill them and that's not okay the, now getting into defending frank castle what they were doing was a form of the insanity defense and getting into uh the brain injury that he had the emotional trauma that he had it wasn't ptsd from serving in afghanistan but it was definitely a form of ptsd from seeing his family brutally murdered in front of him. So that would be definitely a form of the insanity defense that could be raised. The other one would be jury nullification, which your lawyers should not go into court and say, it's okay, he just killed mobsters. Let him go. We don't, you can't do that. I'm like, that's, that's how you can get into serious trouble by just asking the jury to, to break the law. But jury nullification uh, is best exemplified in the Chewbacca defense by just making a nonsense. <laughs> shout at them. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. It's, close. And I close my argument. Exactly. And the jury goes, you're right. 
<laughs> I see where you're coming from. Point taken. Yeah. And, you know, one of the real life examples of that that people like to point to is, say, the OJ verdict. You know, it's we're getting even. And that's some commentators have pointed at that. Um, so you you could take the position that with defending Frank Castle, you paint the tragic story. And then what happens? Uh, you get the jury to basically nullify all the murder charges. And that's uh, legally bad. <laughs> like you're not supposed to openly do that. I think I saw this movie too. This one had uh, McConaughey and Samuel L, right? Yeah, Time to Kill. And mm-hmm. and that does get into, it's definitely insanity defense. Mm. It's, a, it's a form of it that, okay. you know, you see something horrifying and you respond. But where it could turn into murder, you know, I could say like the dad who, who beat up the rapist. And, and killed the rapist with his bare hands. Like that's one example. Let's say that the uh, somebody sees something bad happening and a, you know, they draw a weapon and they shoot the perpetrator. You, maybe you can argue that it was traumatic and that's why that happened. But that argument would go out the window if he reloaded. <laughs> Uh, or if he or if he went home and got his gun and then followed the guy and shot him. Yeah, that's that's where it changes. And, you know, a real life example of that is uh, the Menendez brothers case that, you know, one of the comments was it was manslaughter until they reloaded. Mm, I hadn't heard that. Yeah. And that so, makes sense, though. Yeah, yeah, it takes the heat of the moment out of it or the passion or whatever the, the terminology is. Exactly. So those are the like you know, the things to look for in doing legal analysis. You know, all the little facts matter, but not the irrelevant facts. So, <laughs> um, which which there's the cute scene from Ant Man, where <laughs> it's all the wrong facts, all the wrong facts. You just want mm. the relevant ones. <laughs> I love it. I I think it's a great way to to draw some parallels between actual tangible, serious, real world things and the relatively lighthearted world of, you know, geekery and comics and stories. Well, it's a cool way too to kind of teach, um, you know, kind of like, uh, uh, Dr. Arnie Blumberg does with his, uh, a, a class on the walking dead that really what he's teaching is it's a, it's a social, you know, he's teaching, uh, about racism and sexism and, um, in the guise of we're just talking about zombie TV. So it's yeah, pretty cool. it, it, all these psychologists that have great books and podcasts out about psychology of walking dead or game of Thrones. And it, it's a way to connect with people. You know, our first San Diego comic-con was star Wars and people love star Wars for good reason. It, and the questions that we had, we could see folks literally doing what we call IRAC, which is an analysis that you learn in law school, that you identify the issue, identify the rule, you apply the rule to the facts, and then you reach a conclusion. Well, that's what people were doing, discussing Anakin fighting Count Dooku and then beheading him. 
<laughs> and you could literally go like, oh, yeah, that would be murder. That Anakin, the threat of Count Dooku had ended because Anakin had literally disarmed him. And therefore, like the threat had ended. So killing him was murder. Hmm. So it's fantastic. It, it is neat. It's really neat. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's, so, Star Trek, similar, similar analysis people get into. There, there is a lot of, uh, <laughs> you take for granted, I guess, the levels of sort of, you know, swept under the rug violence that gets a pass in, in all sci-fi fantasy genres. So it's cool to kind of step back and put some real world eyes to really who is... Who is right, wrong, and 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 bad in uh, in those storylines? It's interesting. It is. It's like Agents of Shield. Like the constitutional violations in that are over the top, and then you get stuff like Supergirl. That's kind of ballpark, and it's like, huh, that's cute. Uh, or uh, it's like the best was Agent Carter. And I, I asked one of the writers of Agent Carter, who was at Long Beach Comic Con, you know, was it intentional that they referenced the Fourth Amendment and the need to get search warrants? Were they purposely making it look like Peggy was following the law? And his answer was yes. That was <laughs> it's like rock on, dude. Want to want to applaud those those writers because they thought about it. Would you say just off the top of your head? I mean, you actually probably have the answer. Um, both in television and in movies, is there a particular show or particular film franchise or film in general that kind of hits that the cleanest in terms of? Um, I don't know. Accuracy. Yeah, I'll say that. I know it's kind of a hard to apply to sci-fi fantasy, but yeah, what what kind of what what is the most accurate storyline in terms of of legalities and kind of the right and wrongs? So, from just like pure trial advocacy, my kind of my cousin Vinny's the gold standard. The sure. Star mm-hmm. Trek episode, Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode, Rules of Engagement, was the probably the best trial that they did. Uh, the other one that stood out was the Enterprise episode Judgment, that those two really nailed trials and trial advocacy. And so they, they did very good jobs in that. Um, wow. Agent Carter, from a law enforcement perspective, you know, like they were correct in how they were announcing someone should be arrested, the need to get warrants. Like they did a good job with that stuff. So there are other shows that that do stand out because they they either do some research, they make an effort. You know, season two of Daredevil, on the other hand, was like horrible with the Punisher trial. There was just so many wrong things. It was painful to watch. And (laughs) and it could have been right. And that's stuff like that is disappointing because you look at it and it's like, oh, God, you guys were so close. Why? Why did you divert? You know, and it could have still been a good story. So, you know, when you think about you know, like just writing, 
know, and being able to tell the story and they want things to happen, they still could have achieved their goals so, if it had been done correctly. Being somebody that's not nice. really as well versed in law, is there anything that stands out particularly in that scene that just kind of like makes you like head desk over and over again? So under no circumstances would the court allow protesters to attend a trial. No one would be standing in there with picket signs. That, that stuff would, that would, yeah, that's how you get a mistrial very, very quickly. Um, you would not, if you were a defense attorney, no way in hell would you let a defendant show up in an orange jumpsuit that confirms guilt. So you, you, you know, you would make sure that, that the defendants cleaned up and in a suit. So, and, and would not be handcuffed in front of the jury. So there, there's things like that. The, the, um, the legal objections that they had were wrong. There was a scene where it's cross-examination and Murdoch asks a leading question and the DA objects as leading. And the judge sustains it. And that's completely wrong because cross-examination, you ask leading questions. It's supposed to be adversarial. And so you just, you know, like there were just head palms left and right with that fictional trial because it was wrong in every sense, procedurally. In a show where your main character, your, your vigilante, your superhero is a lawyer, you would get, you would have more of an eye for detail, I guess, in scenes like that. Putting more of an emphasis and a weight on them. You would. And what's funny is season one did a better job of that. And so when they had the trial of John Healy, mm -hmm. they were a lot closer. They flipped a couple things for storytelling purposes. And so there were some nuanced things that you would need to know. Okay, they just flipped the burden of proof. It's if you're going for self-defense, it's the defendant's duty to show it was self-defense, not the state's obligation to disprove it. And always in a self-defense case, you're going to have to have the defendant testify. And that didn't happen. So it's, but that was small in comparison. Right. And like that's that's as opposed to just blatantly wrong. <laughs> Sticking with my uh, my time law mm -hmm. question, who's a better fake lawyer, uh, Jason Bateman in Arrested Development when he's Jareth Cute Story, uh, maritime lawyer, or a Charlie Kelly in Always Sunny in Philadelphia and his Bird Law? Oh, God, uh, would you rather Jesse be a bird lawyer or a maritime lawyer? Oh, I know more about boating, so I would go with maritime. <laughs> uh, just know a little bit more. <laughs> so, but uh, but uh, Jessica did a good post about Sunny in Philadelphia and bird law, and and that's more her specialty than mine. But uh, I'm the sailor and could talk about boats. <laughs> so. Uh, last question before we move on to uh, Geek Weekly, because I'm, I'm with uh, with everything going on right now with immigration in the states. Um, being a literal illegal alien, what is the status of Superman? Well, he's not illegal an illegal alien. He's a refugee, oh. and a, 
And so uh, a refugee is a person who's been forced to leave their country in order to escape war, persecution, or natural disaster. Krypton blew up. And maybe if the Kryptonian government had not defunded the scientists, maybe they could have saved that planet. But no. So looking at getting to, say, the Geneva Convention or the treaty on uh, there's there's an actual convention from uh, I think it was 1951 and 1967. And it's been updated a few times uh, dealing with refugees. And a lot of those deal with persecution. Uh, So like it's, you know, we did this after World War Two and it was a hot topic and in you know Europe for obvious reasons but when you think about refugees natural disaster is one of the reasons people have to leave volcano explodes island sinks you know things like that and krypton blew up so i would argue superman's a refugee Things get a little weird with the adoption proceedings because there's like no legal way to do that. They they committed you know, the Kents committed had to commit fraud if they actually did an adoption petition because the, no one put into put into a you know a petition. We found him on the side of the road in a crashed spaceship. Sure, unless they you know did they leave that out? Now, if we start thinking about the refugee laws that we have. You know, the, the the analysis that the government would, would get into in a report, you know, to the administration is, you know, the the nature of the refugee situation. So we have a couple rogue Kryptonians that, that are coming to Earth. Uh, description of the number and uh, allegation of, uh, uh, of the refugees and analysis of the conditions of the countries from where they came. Well, the planet blew up. It's not there anymore. A description of the plans for uh, their movement and resettlement. Well, that could get a little weird, especially since, you know, they can fly, you know, is um, we're an accepted people. So we would need to figure that one out. Analysis of anticipated social, economic and demographic impact. Well, again, that they can leap tall buildings in a single bound. They have heat vision. There's all kinds of issues that get into superhuman people being on Earth. Uh, description of the um, uh, if they could ever go back home. The answer is no. And you know, those would be things to think about. And you know, when you think to you know Jerry Siegel and 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 you know the Superman story, you know, part of it is. The Moses parable <laughs> that is the ultimate refugee <laughs> and <Huh>. and <laughs> to, to save a troubled people. So, uh, you know, a great character. And I do think highlights a lot of American values of we take in those who are escaping persecution. <laughs> and this for him, fantastic. tremendous. <laughs> it's. <laughs> I, I, the Superman story is is a beautiful story, and the character is a fantastic character. I would argue you know, that when you one. think, <laughs> I, I knew that was good. I was waiting for that. <laughs> yeah, it's the story as I guess I can. Uh, if we're drawing all sorts of hyperbolic parallels, yeah, it, it, it's a great story. <laughs> yeah, in 
and, and when you think back to Action Comics 1, you know, like if anyone's actually thumbed through like any of the reprints, he was raised in an orphanage originally. Really? Uh, yeah. And so it was like a couple issues later that they had him land on the farm with the Kens. But originally he grew up in an orphanage. Interesting. That kind of uh, makes sense. Yeah, but 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 the farm upbringing, um, I think, is critical to him. It's it's his parents' good nature that teach him right from wrong and dignity and to help others. And, and you know, you think back to Superman, nineteen seventy eight, and the scenes with Jonathan Ken are basically what two and a half, and they have some of the the most emotional punch from finding the little boy and he and Martha deciding we'll take him to him having a heart attack, you know, and dying, you know, in front of his son. And I'm like, that's, it's, it's core to the character that here's somebody who has all these powers and abilities who came from someplace else and is given life here. And the loss that he has and is still optimistic, absolutely fantastic character. <laughs> kind of gives him his humanity and grounds him a little bit. Did you guys see the fan uh, film that was done that it, I don't remember which Superman comic it's based off of, but and there's a legal punch to it. You know, it's him in high school and his best friend is dying of cancer and they spend a lot of time talking about to kill a mockingbird and uh, part of the discussion that that you know the dying friend has is be atticus you know, be the person to stand up for what is right and so you know the the kid dies and it you know it ends you know several years later with uh, Superman holding the one note that he had from his dead friend, which simply says Beaticus. Wow. Oh, yeah. Brilliant film. Brilliant, touching film. And you, you watch it and it's like, okay, so Superman's motivation comes from loss. And the moral high ground that he has, the motivation is from To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> It's a big sweep right there. Beautiful. So love the character. And if you guys aren't reading the current rebirth DC comics with Superman and action comics, highly recommend them. Where do you find time to take in this much geekery? You make the time. (laughs) (laughs) Good answer. Boom, Nick. That's a solid answer. It's there's some nights when I go to bed late. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we we wrap up every show doing a little something we call Geek Weekly. And it's it's where we talk about what we've been geeking on week this week. And as our guest, you can either go first or last. Totally up to you. I'll go last. Oh, bold choice. So we're going to go with Nick first. Uh, I have um, I have been eagerly awaiting the return of John Oliver and last week tonight 
um, which made its gallant comeback. Uh, was that just Tuesday? Monday night. Um, and so that was, that was the little time I carved out for myself. Um, that is, that is just good, good humor slash commentary. Um, a little bit of, of social awareness to it. Um, I think everybody on this show watches that at some point, but, uh, that was what I allowed myself for my, my extra viewing treat this week. So I'm glad to have him back with new episodes. Nice. And with that, uh, I am going to throw it to, uh, Joe. Uh, I've been geeked on this week. I don't know. It's either really, really geeky or really, really, you know, I don't know. I, I may have transcended myself here. Um, so I've been trying to find ways to make myself more productive. And so I was looking for different types of journals that might help me keep track of myself and become, you know, where am I wasting time, basically? And so I started keeping a uh, what's called a bullet journal, which is just a... Um, you can use any old notebook and you just enter in the stuff you have to do for the day with basically bullet points, really straightforward. Um, but it's been really, really helpful. And it's been for the past three days, I've been very productive and it's been really, really helpful. And I'm very excited about it. So yeah, bullet journaling. You can find out more at bulletjournal.com. I think <laughs> might be sorry. I better check. Double check. Let, let us know how how it makes you better in the next month. Yeah, we'll do. Yes, it is bulletjournal.com. Oh, it was. So. That's actually a thing. I thought. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-mm. Nope, my eyes are brown. I am full of shit, but this time I was telling the truth. Rob, how about you? What are you geeking on this week? Oh, let's see. Uh, a lot of drum and bass. And I just found this new uh, set from a uh, festival called Publicity. And it's by uh, a DJ named Muzzy. Uh, it's fantastic. Are you saying, are you saying real things? Okay. I didn't know. I can never really tell. It's an actual festival at uh, Publicity. And uh, um, Muzzy is a real DJ. Uh, Really, really improving on that lately. So, uh, lots of dubstep and drone bass and loud uh, head banging music for me this week. Nice. Yeah. Is it Muzzy that like monster that teaches you how to speak different languages? Probably. I, I if I remember correctly, yes. But uh, that has been so long ago since I have even thought about that that I can't speak with any authority. <laughs> Same here. You you brought it to my mind. <laughs> Uh, uh, Rick and Morty. Yes. Firstly, how far into the what is it? Two seasons? How far into the two seasons are you now, or have you finished? Ten, ep- ten episodes through season one. Okay. So, do you have any favorite episodes yet? Um. Yes, I do. The g- g- raising Resorpa uh, Gorp, yep. right? Nice. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. It's that. That's that's a. Uh, at first, I was very, very like distracted from his burping, like, mm. 
And it was like, come on, just stop doing that. And then it became like, nope, that's a thing that is a thing. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's so interesting. I love it. Did you know, firstly, I, I might have mentioned this before, and you might have looked this up and known this already, but did you know that uh, Rick and Morty are both voiced by the same guy, Justin Roiland? I did not know that. Yeah, they are voiced by the same guy. I can only imagine what, like, and they do most of the, like, the, the actual dialogue is uh, uh, impromptu. So, like, it's just, like, him in a studio with a couple of the other guys, and they, like, have a general scene that Dan Harmon sets, and they just work through it. So I can only imagine I, I, what recording each of those episodes has to be like, which is Justin Roiland jumping back and forth between characters. I think the best, my favorite part of any episode so far is um, when you find out that there's like, there's because of all the diversion timelines, there's many Ricks mm-hmm. and all Ricks have a Morty. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. When, when, you, when you meet Eric Stoltz, the mask Morty, oh <laughs> that made me about lose. That's right, shit. Jerry. He's Eric Stoltz, Max Morty. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was wonderful. So yeah, Rick and Morty is what I've been. Uh, I've, I've that that's been my week this week. I'm, I'm so entirely glad that existence is pain, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the, the, the Rick Potion number nine episode yet? I don't think so. Oh God, let me know. No, you, yes, uh, yes, I believe I did. Everybody in the Cronenbergs. Yes. Yeah. Oh God, it's such a good episode. I love I love when uh, when Cronenberg, Rick and Morty show up in the now Cronenberg world and they say, uh, man, Rick, it's really weird how you turned everybody into uh, normal people. As though in, even in Cronenberg world, normal people exist. That's one. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's a funny show. I'm glad you so that's that's what I've been geeking on. Rick and Morty. I'm so pumped for you. Josh, how about you? What have you been geeking on this week? Well, we've been getting ready for our X-Men mock trial. So there's been lots of legal analysis of whether or not the government could use Sentinels to execute mutants based upon their DNA. And that's been a lot of fun. And so prep for that, taking pictures of action figures to promote it. Uh, today was new comic book day, so I was at the comic store and the new issue of Thor came out which was a lot of fun, as was the new issue of Doctor Strange. So lots of fun, lots of fun reading there. And you know, there are a few more I haven't, I only read three at lunchtime. So you know, there's, that work, there's that work thing. It's like, okay, it breaks over, back to work. Who needs it? Uh, <laughs> all of us? <laughs> nah. Uh, nah. So just out of my curiosity, is there going to be any recording of this mock trial that you guys do? Uh, they, they, they should. They did last year. Last year it was the mock trial of the Winter Soldier. And, and that was epic because we had a federal judge. We had six law students. We had two psychologists who each prepared expert witness reports on Bucky's mental state. And we had a cosplayer uh, who was Bucky, and we had a cosplayer who was Black Widow. That's and tremendous. It was it was very complicated to pull off, which is why this year we're just doing a you know a 
preliminary injunction based upon a fictional president who issues an executive order uh, after after a mass casualty incident. And this has been a lot of fun to put together because we pulled from God Loves, Man Kills. Uh, we uh, a little bit of Days of Future Past with the Sentinels uh, and the mass casualty. Casualty, casualty incident was Inferno. Mm. And so if you're a 1980s Chris Claremont fan, uh, we listed, uh, you know, as the fictional president, William Stryker. Nice. You know, yeah, because in the comic, if you think of you know, me, it's like, okay, so if we literally have hell on earth, it would make sense that the reverend could actually pull off a win in a presidential election in middle America. Uh, but for the secretary of defense, we listed him, had him be Chris Claremont. And as the uh, attorney general, we listed John Byrne. So we did lots of little things to honor the comics. That's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it's my creative outlet. Some people paint. <laughs> Some people paint. Good luck. So where, where, can our list, where can our listeners find you, uh, both uh, blog and podcast? So thelegalgeeks.com is the blog, and we do have our podcast listed on there on one of the tabs. We are on Twitter at The Legal Geeks, and check us out. And if you search iTunes, The Legal Geeks, we're also on Stitcher. Uh, Buzzsprout and uh, um, Android for Google Play. That one's new. Well, the writing is definitely really good. I've checked that out. Looking forward to checking out the podcast next. So absolutely give them a read. Um, great stuff. Fun talk Jonathan, too. Great to have great having you on here. This is this has been a good time. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Oh, I mean, I, I hope I hope that we have some cool geek legal news we have to bring you back for. To be honest, you never know. I, you do. You never know. <laughs> there, there could be a great comic story that comes out. That's lots of legal issues. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. My pleasure. You guys take care. Have a good one. Have a good one. Talk to you soon. Take care. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes or YouTube or follow us on SoundCloud. Be sure to comment, like, review, leave cynical comments, or call Nick mean names. He likes when you do that. Hey, everybody. GCR. I want to talk to you about waywardraven.com. These guys are creating some pretty rad content, and you can find it at waywardraven.com. Use our discount code NECKBEARD. Save yourself 15% and... You know, make yourself feel good about a purchase, not like that rowing machine you had to get because you thought for sure this would be the year you lost weight. You know, don't get one of those. Don't get one of those copper pans where the eggs don't stick. Get yourself a good, independently created comic book. Do it. If you like what we do here, or if you're just bored, head on over to patreon.com and give us some love or some cash or change or a tip jar or whatever you're feeling. Patreon.com is a place where you can support us, other podcasters, other creatives, and uh, just give a little back to those that you like. Check us out. Look up Geekcast Live at Patreon.com and support us any way you can. We would appreciate it. Hello, this is Sherlock Holmes.
If you can't get enough Cartoon Joe, check out him. Check him out on this this freaking show podcast on uh, Saturday mornings at eleven a.m. Hey everybody, GCR, and that was episode four four of the Geekcast Live podcast. Stay tuned for this week's bit of bass, which is a local band here in Indiana called Young Kingdom. We hope to have them on in the next couple of weeks to talk about their music, but for now, a little taste. This is their original song, Amnesty. Dig it.